Hey, it's John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and it's The Entrepreneurial You, the show for dedicated and passionate Caribbean entrepreneurs seeking daily inspiration, brought to you by author, speaker, and award-winning entrepreneur, Henneka Watkis-Porter. You must be prepared to ignite. Coming up on this episode of The Entrepreneurial You, Opportunity does not knock. It just sits there waiting patiently to be yanked. Go out there. Welcome to The Entrepreneurial You, the podcast for passionate and dedicated entrepreneurs seeking inspiration. I'm your host, Henneke Watkins-Porto. Be sure to check out The Entrepreneurial You Facebook group and keep checking hennekewatkinsporto.com for updates. Leave me a voicemail on the website. Just click the tab to the middle right of the screen or send me an email at hennekawatkisporto at gmail.com to let me know how this podcast is helping you. You may just get a special shout out in the process. Who knows? Today's episode is brought to you by Bookophilia. My peak performers. Are you looking for a space that fosters a peaceful and productive environment for writing and multifaceted creative expression? Then, Bookophilia is the place to be. Over the last few weeks, I've been talking about our upcoming virtual conference and expo. It's happening September 25 to 28. And over these four days, I have John Lee Dumas, J.V. Crum, Malcolm M.J. Harris and Chris Miles, just to name a few, to move you from stock to unstock, allowing you to create profits and achieve success quickly. Registration is now open, so go to hennekawatkisporter.com and click on the register for conference tab. In the meantime, let's hear from Chris Miles, cash flow expert, about why you should attend this conference. Hey everyone, it's Chris Miles here, cash flow expert. I'm going to be teaching you how to successfully manage your cash flow so you have optimal business growth. And I tell you, like the number one reason that people go out of business, the reason why business fails, is not because it's not a good idea. It's because they lack the cash flow. They don't have the profit. And when you don't have profit, you don't have cash flow, you're not in business. And so if you seriously want to have more money, more money back in your pocket, so you don't just own a job, but you own a real business that pays you, you want to check this out. Today, we're joined by the CEO of Toot Bagai Publishing, considered one of the Caribbean's largest magazine publishing houses. Our guest has received numerous awards, including the Marcella Martinez Award for her contribution to promoting the Caribbean internationally and was nationally recognized and awarded the Business Pioneer Award by the Association of Female Executives of Trinidad and Tobago. I'm extremely excited and happy to welcome Nisha Sudin to the Entrepreneurial You. Welcome, Nisha. Thank you so much. It's so awesome to be on this. I have a fun question for you before we get into the meat of the matter, as it were. If you were to name one piece of clothing that best describes you, what would that be? Jeans. Ah. <laughs> or t-shirts. Or yeah. jeans. T-shirts. <laughs> okay. Oh, you're a jeans and t-shirt kind of girl. So that means... I know. Ah. And it's so funny because, you know, um, I meet people right across the Caribbean. And uh, I guess everyone is assuming because I'm a magazine publisher 
that I have, and because I'm a former model, that I'm this little glamour puss trotting around the Caribbean, but I really am not. I love my jeans. I love my t-shirts. Awesome. Awesome. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) So I am happy that you started out, you know, by telling us, because I was going to ask you just to give us a background into, you know, where you've been, what you've been doing, and now, you know, before we even head into uh, Toot Bagai Publishing, how that came about and all that wonderful stuff. So you mentioned that you were a model. Talk to me about that. So I, I after, after university, I wanted to, university was, for me, I was, um, I was very privileged because at university, being a foreign student, I couldn't work. So my parents, uh, you know, helped support me right through university. So after I finished university, I decided to go and do another degree because life was just too easy. All I had to do was pause and my parents were supporting me. At that point in time, my parents said, no way, get out and get yourself a job. So, and now this was back in the, the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And at that time, ethnic models were just like the hottest thing walking the planet. And of course, I'm almost six foot tall and Indian. And so I was picked up by a modeling agency uh, who whisked me off to Italy And I told my parents, well, if you wanted me to work, I just got a job working as a model in Italy. Uh, To that, my parents were terribly disappointed because all that money wasted on on an education for me to go and trot up and down a runway was not their idea of a great profession. Um, However, um, you know, that being in Italy, uh, a foreign country speaking a foreign language taught me so much. It taught me that no matter where I am in the world, I could figure it out. And I was completely on my own in Italy. And um, it was just a great experience for me. But uh, after a couple of years, I'd come back home for a holiday. And I was about 24 at the time. And I um, had a lump in my neck. So my mom took me to the doctor and Although I was 24 and thought I was a big woman, in a doctor's office, the doctor and my mother speak directly and they totally cut me out of the conversation. And that lump turned out to be a thyroid cancer. So my thyroid cancer, which was at the time stage three, uh, after a couple of years turned into stage four. And so I really had to undergo years of treatment and surgery. And so that was the end of my modeling career. And, um, you know, and it was, it, it was the, the beginning of a new life. And some people would chuckle going, well, she just found out she was stage four. How could be the, that be the beginning of anything? That's sort of like the end of a life. Well, let's just pause there. And because I know right now you've, you've already, in, you know, piqued the interest of our listeners. I want you to share your social media handles with us right now. I am at... Nisha Sudin, N-E-Y-S-H-A-S-O-O-D-E-E-N. And that's my Twitter, my Instagram, and my Facebook. I have a Facebook page because the personal page, because I'm old and do not quite understand how all of this goes, my Facebook page, I've, I hit my, my friend limit or something like that. So I can't, I can't communicate with anyone else. So I've just started a page, which I believe is Niche Sudin. All right. So you found out that you 
<laughs> have cancer. Right. Just and found out it was stage four. four stage four. Not just have cancer, but stage four cancer. Given three to six months to live. Mm-hmm. And it's the beginning of life for you, whereas for some, it's the end of life. So uh, I am in bed, just, you know, in tears, thinking, how could this be? And um, I grab a bottle of wine. I figure, look, if I'm going to die, I'm going to go die happy. I grab the bottle of wine, uh, really prevented myself from smoking at that time. And, um, and, you know, sort of like in and out of sleep, I thought, all right, well, what would my funeral be like? And then I thought of the eulogy. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to have the most boring eulogy ever because I've not accomplished anything. I swam for Barbados, but I never made it to the Olympics. And I went to university, but I never, you know, did anything with my degree. And I modeled in Italy, but never really did anything with that either. And I thought, I, my eulogy is just going to be Nisha Sudin, which is this fun little happy girl. Um, and that was the beginning of a brand new life because once I was able to beat the cancer, um, and obviously, you know, months came by month left and I was still alive. And then my cancer levels started going down and down and down. That was when I decided, you know what? I need my eulogy to be an awesome eulogy. And at 28, I picked up myself 28, 29 moved to Trinidad because I was living in Barbados with my parents and started a publishing company, started my first magazine, which was called Maco Caribbean Living. And that's what I want us to talk about. I want us to hear about the concept behind Maco Caribbean Living magazine. You know, I had, uh, as I said, I was privileged to have gone away to school in Canada and then I was living in Italy. And when I had come back home, two very poignant things stood out. The first was while I was away, everyone sort of assumes that if you're from the Caribbean, you either work at a hotel, own a hotel, or live on the beach, or eat mangoes, or eat banana, you know, drink banana daiquiris. They didn't quite understand how it was that we lived and what we did and our lifestyle in the Caribbean. And then when I came back home to the Caribbean, I realized that no one in the Caribbean valued what we have right here. I would go into someone's house and they would have beautiful roses on their mantelpiece as opposed to tropical flowers. And uh, I would go to someone's house for dinner and they'll be serving me a strawberry shortcake as opposed to guava or soursop. And I thought, you know what? We're, we as West Indians are trying to emulate everything that's foreign as opposed to really embrace everything that's on, that's us, that's, that's uh, homegrown. And so I decided to start a magazine that will um, showcase both aspects, showcase to the world, the luxury side of how we live, um, our food, our decor, our architecture, um, our gardens, our artists. And then for West Indians, I wanted to show them that if I took our lifestyle and I presented it in a way or in a form on a platform that was first world, all of a sudden, hopefully they would start appreciating what we have. So I decided to do this oversized, glossy magazine. Um, 
and I called it Mako and um, right away it took traction. Now, of course, no one thought that this is, this is at the end of the, the 90s where the graveyard for magazines was huge. Everyone thought that they could start a magazine and magazines launched and failed, launched and failed. So no one wanted to back me on this project because it didn't seem like a viable project. And no one, advertisers, were not going to spend the kind of money advertising in a glossy magazine, which is super expensive, when that was their whole year of advertising in a newspaper or on radio. So I decided to do it alone, and I took a big risk, and it paid off. You know, every issue came out. Uh, my audience grew, and then by year two, I started launching new other publications, and um, and then the company grew and grew and grew. I went from just doing my first issue on my own to hiring two people by my third issue and two more people by my sixth issue. And then the company just kept on growing. That's amazing. We're going to take a break right here, Nisha, just to thank my sponsor. And then we're going to come back and talk about some of the challenges. I, you, you, also, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you had challenge getting persons to come on board because nobody was, you know, um, backing it at the time. But what are some of the other challenges that you face? But when we come back, we talk about that. Peak performers. Success is something that we gradually work towards as an end goal, but we need to be in the right environment to make it happen. Bookafila is dedicated to providing a space for book, coffee, and tea lovers, creatives, educators, students, and professionals who want ideas, innovation, and inspiration. They have a variety of high-quality books, a cafe, events such as book launches, signings, and art exhibitions, and professional services uniquely tailored to your needs, culture, and tastes. Their environment provides for the full literary arts experience, allowing for multifaceted creative expressions. Find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Bookophilia. Welcome back. Welcome back. We're talking with Nisha Sudin from Toot Bagai Publishing, who publishes the wonderful glossy magazine, Mako Caribbean Living. Continuing on where we left off, we're going to talk about the challenges that you would have faced, Nisha, while you were in the, the startup phase. There were so many, as I said uh, before, the, at the time, um, advertisers were not used to advertising uh, in glossy magazines. And therefore, I had to go out there and educate my advertisers on the pros of advertising in a glossy magazine as opposed to a newspaper or radio, or TV. And then at the time, besides the, the in-flight magazines, my magazine was the only magazine that was a regional publication. And by year two, my magazine was the only Caribbean magazine that was uh, distributed internationally at Barnes & Nobles and Borders and WH Smith, etc., And therefore, there were a handful of advertisers that really wanted to not only reach every island in the region, but those outside of the region. And so my magazine then found its own niche market. But I had to fight for that market. Um, other real challenges that no one sort of knows is I was young. I never did a business degree. I never studied publishing or journalism. I winged it. And when you wing it, you, 
you are not every decision you make is going to be the right one. So for instance, uh, not having a, a business degree, I didn't really keep an eye on my cash flow. And I have, I tell every young entrepreneur, your cash flow is your number one thing ball that you have to keep the eye on your eye on. And so there came a time where, because I had to pay for my printing up front, but then I was only collecting advertising dollars after I had a bit of a cash flow problem. Uh, if that was not managed or caught in time, I would have been just like every other magazine at the time. I would have been, you know, I would have had to bury my grave, my, my magazine in that big graveyard. Um, and then what I was very good at was networking. And because I, I've never claimed to be a, 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 a bright spark, you know, I was, I was not an honor student. Um, I don't think I'm that intellectual, but boy, did I know how to network and networking. I was able to really get my magazine out there, the brand out there, interact with advertisers, interact with people who were able to give me advice, to mentor me to keep an eye on, on me and to also spread the word. Um, so for any entrepreneur again, or for anyone, whether you're a dentist, a doctor, an executive networking is so important because it just, um, it's the one thing that you could do to spread your business and to get more business. Um, but you know, and, and, uh, and to empower the people that work for you. I was never, a uh, Everyone said I wasn't a great boss because I was never a boss. I was always sort of a team player. And I ran my business as a school project. And fair enough, I might have been head of the school project, but it was a team effort. And um, so those are some of the, you know, some of the challenges and some of the rewards that or challenges that I overcame. Uh, to make my business as successful as it is. You know, Nisho, you talk about, um, and I'm picking up a common thread from your conversation because earlier when you, when you started to share about being in Italy, you talked about having to figure it out and figure it out. You did. You also talk about, uh, you knew nothing about publishing. You didn't do a business degree or anything, but yet you figured it out. You winged it. And yes, you would have made bad decisions along the way, wrong choices along the way. But you know what? They, I'm sure they, they, they served as teachable moments for you and lessons learned. Continuing on that same thread, you would have learned a few lessons. What are some of the other lessons besides the ones you've already mentioned that you would have learned? Well, one of the lessons that I had to learn and, um, and I actually uh, through right now talking about it should revisit and learn again is that uh, you have to keep up with trends. You have to keep up with technology. And while I was younger, when I started my publishing company out, um, we didn't have as much, you know, the, the digital world was not there. Even how we, even how we sent uh, files to press, we had to burn CDs and mail them or FedEx them up to a printer. Oh my gosh, really? <laughs> No, I know you young people are like, what's a CD-ROM? <laughs> no, it's, um, no, not that bad. I remember a CD-ROM, but oh my gosh, that process, thinking about it now and what obtained, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and, and my very, very first magazine, I literally sat down on the floor with big sheets of paper and drew out how I wanted every page laid out. Now, of course, that is just, you know, it's prehistoric to do things like that. Now, 
of course, uh, I'm now in my mid 40s. And of course, the print industry is taking a real bashing from the, the, the social world. And advertisers are now quickly going from print to digital. So they don't want to advertise in print anymore. They want to advertise on websites and social media platforms. And, and of course, now in my 40s, I have to go and relearn a whole new world, technology, and how do I move my print company, my publishing company from what is a print to digital. Now, that is just going to continue until the day I die. Or until the day I retire, which will probably be until the day I die. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, everyone, everyone, again, you know, you need to keep up with trends and technology and, and you have to go in the direction, which means that you have to take your business and keep reinventing uh, your business model. You have to st keep hiring new human resource that understands the direction that the world is going. Um, because you can't do it all and I can't do it all. And therefore I'm still struggling. I think everyone thinks that I may be successful, but I don't think I am. I'm still struggling. And I'm still trying to keep up with it. If you're not an entrepreneur and you're planning to go into the field of entrepreneurship, struggles will happen no matter how successful somebody appears. And even with that great success, there are always challenges along the way. Absolutely. And not only, um, will one, an entrepreneur, uh, or an executive or anyone climbing up that corporate ladder, um, if, if there aren't any struggles, then you're not learning anything. And to be a better business person, you have to, you have to make mistakes and you have to learn from them. And the more you learn, the better you are. You know, just Richard Branson almost hit bankruptcy many times. So did most of the most successful people in this world. Uh, you, you win some, you lose some. And when you lose, that just makes you a stronger person and a brighter person. And so, of course, I mean, uh, there were times where, um, you know, uh, back in 2007, I believe, I can't remember the year, where, when we had the big crash, the first thing that all companies do when there are economic hardships, the first thing that they cut back is advertising. My only source of revenue in my business is advertising. Magazines were closing down all over the world. So I had to quickly decide, oh my gosh, am I going to, you know, tighten up my belt and hold my breath and cut corners and keep living and survive this? Or am I going to, you know, fold? And uh, a lot of companies do that. And a lot of people do that. A lot of uh, successful business people go to bed and, and don't have a good night's sleep. <laughs> because there isn't a salary at the end of the month when you're an entrepreneur. Fast tracking to where you are in terms of some of the clients you've had you mentioned earlier that you're in in some of you know places like amazon you know major bookstores and so on but even in terms of some of the big clients that you've had within the region and how you've been impacting not just uh your business and the persons that work with you your team but the work that you're doing in the entrepreneurial community i want you to share that as well as well as some of your clients when i first started my company i was you know as i said i was young i was 29 
And the one thing that I realized when I was 29, 30, 31, 32 was that there weren't a lot of people in the Caribbean uh, who were in my profession that wanted to see me succeed. So when I went to them for help, they would rather stand on my head and push me down to elevate themselves than to hold my hand and say, come Nisha, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you be the best publisher ever. And it was actually one of my biggest mentors was a Jamaican, Ian Randall from Ian Randall Publishing. Oh, cool. When I know and when other publishers across the Caribbean would not help me, uh, Ian Randall said, absolutely, Nisha. You know, not only am I going to introduce you to my uh, printers in China and Hong Kong, but I'm actually going to extend my line of credit so that you could get a good head start. And there aren't too many people like Ian Randall in this world or in the Caribbean, I should say. Mm -hmm. And so when I grew up and I, I thought that I had achieved something that I could give, pass it forward, I did so. And I started working with more and more young entrepreneurs and not necessarily in a formal way, but a lot of entrepreneurs come to me from all over the Caribbean. And so I work with them to a point where I, I open up my networks to them because that's sometimes very hard in the Caribbean if you don't travel a lot and get them to a place where I know that their companies have a good chance of succeeding. So that's one of the things that I've been focused on. Uh, some of my big clients, you know, one of the things that being a Caribbean publisher has given me is an amazing uh, content resource. So I believe right now I'm probably the largest, um, uh, I have the largest library of Caribbean content because I've been featuring each island for the last 20 years. And um, so some of my clients are sandals. So I published the Sandal Style magazine. And of course, that's awesome because Sandals is one of the largest companies in the Caribbean. And by every right, they should be going to the one of the largest publishers in the world or in the States to publish their magazine. And it was just awesome when we decided to partner up on this magazine and to have them choose a, a local publisher, um, a small publisher compared to all the larger ones in the States. And, um, and what I was able to bring to a massive company like Sandals was my Caribbean content. Um, and therefore some of my other clients across the Caribbean are big names, you know, Caribbean exports and some of the ministries across the region. You have an amazing story, you know, being a cancer survivor, entering an industry when it was not really glamorous for you to do that. And here you are rising amidst your challenges, rising to success, rising in the midst of every storm that you've faced. And this is what the takeaway that I want my community of peak performers to move away with to say that it doesn't matter the challenges, you know, over just figure it out. It will it will work. All the dots will begin to connect. It will work. I'm going to ask you now, Nisha, for a piece of advice that you'd want to to, to leave with our community for persons who want to be become entrepreneurs or maybe want to enter specifically the magazine industry, leave with us a piece of advice that we can walk away with. My piece of advice to your listeners is opportunity does not knock. It just sits there waiting patiently to be yanked. Go out there and just do it. A lot of people, you know, they, 
they they're fearful for if what if I fail? Well, what if you fail? If you don't try, you would never, never know. What if you succeed? So opportunity is not going to come just knocking at your door. If you have a good idea, if you have a bad idea <laughs> that you think that you could turn it into a great thing, go for it. I did it. Uh, so all of the top entrepreneurs in the Caribbean or in the world didn't do something that was already tried and tested. That is not how you become an entrepreneur. Becoming an, a successful entrepreneur is going out there and doing something that no one else has done before. We have been talking with Nisha Sudin of Toots Bagai Publishing, who publishes the magazine Mako. And we have been inspired, no doubt, right? And I just want to, at this point, Nisha, ask you again to leave your social media handles with us. So my social media handle is at Nisha Sudin, N-E-Y-S-H-A-S-O-O-D-E-E-N. And that's my Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I believe I have a Facebook page, which might be Nisha Sudin. And for all of your Jamaican listeners, I have a little treat for you. I am headed to Jamaica to launch a brand new magazine on your shores. Amazing. I'm so sorry that other listeners are like, oh my gosh, I'm not in Jamaica. It's okay. <laughs> I am headed, I'm headed your way to, to invade your Jamaica readers. So we're hopefully at the end of the year going to be launching a really exciting, sexy magazine in Jamaica. Nisha, it has been a pleasure speaking with you. You have inspired, you have delivered, you have motivated. And so I want to say thanks to you, all that you're doing. Keep up the good work. Congratulations on all the excellent stuff that you've already achieved. And I know that there is more to come for you, from you, because you ain't stopping. <laughs> I'm not stopping. And thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Amazing. That's it, my peak performers. We have, in fact, come to the end of another great show. Thank you so much for listening. From all over the world, we have peak performer community members in Japan, India, the Netherlands, so many islands in the Caribbean, including Jamaica, where I'm from, the United States of America, and so many, many more. I know I shouldn't have started to call names because there you are thinking, how come she's not calling my country? Just know that I love and appreciate you, okay? If you've been enjoying this podcast, please give me some more love by subscribing and rating, reviewing and downloading the episodes in iTunes. It really means a lot when you do that. Or you may just leave a comment on the show notes page on hennikawatkisporter.com. You see, the beauty of doing this podcast is that in addition to speaking with some amazing guests and connecting with you, my awesome peak performance community, I also get to become affiliated with some excellent products and services. For example, HostGator, they host my website and they have some great deals going on if you're looking for web solution. If you click on the link on my homepage, you can get to take advantage of these deals as well. 
And if you're interested in starting your own podcast, you know, you've been hearing me podcast and you have no doubt follow several other podcasts and you have an interest in starting your own, then certainly check out Blueberry. They have a hosting promo going on. All you need to do is click on the link on my homepage, henikawatkisporter.com and enter the promo code the U T H E E N T R E P Y O U. Be sure as well to check out the resources tab on my website for books and other useful resources that I personally use and recommend. I would not share something with you uh, and recommend as a resource if I've not used it myself and can attest to the impact that it will make and it has made on me and I know it will make on you as well. And did you know that I'm the founder of a clothing line? Yes, yes, yes. My very first business, Pato Apparel. If you want to check out some amazing Jamaican t-shirts and other clothing, then of course, head over to patoapparel.com. That's P-A-T-W-A-A-P-P-A-R-E-L.com. Patoapparel.com. Remember, you were born to win, but to be a winner, you must plan to win, prepare to win, and expect to win. What good?